When I was younger, a formative voice in my own life, theologically, was a guy named Francis Schaeffer. He ran a uh, retreat center in the Swiss Alps. And one of the things that he said that I thought was quite profound was uh, the world in which we live is, and this is his word now, a uniformity of cause and effect in an open system. And then he goes on to explain how believing that can make us people of peace. And I open with that moment and that articulation because if there's one thing that we as Christ followers can do that would cause the light of Christ to shine in our world more profoundly, it would be this. We'd, we'd be people of peace. Less anxiety, just practically speaking. We'd sleep better. Uh, we, we'd, we'd be less uh, afraid of the storms that are all around us politically, economically, geographically, relationally, physically. We could be people of peace. But Schaefer says uh, that the default view in a materialistic world is that we live in a, uh, a uniformity of cause and effect in a closed system. And if what a closed system means is everything that happens in the world is the effect of a prior cause. In other words, there's no God stepping into history to alter the course of events. And if there's no God stepping in to alter the course of events, then literally everything that happens happens as a reaction to something else that has happened. This is well illustrated if you've ever seen uh, like a room filled with ping pong balls and there's two on a, a mousetrap and the whole floor is filled with mousetraps and then somebody drops a ping pong ball into that and it, they begin to go. I'll show you, this is exactly what it looks like. We'll just take a minute here. And then, so this is like if you're an atheist, this is how the world works, basically. It's like, oh, there's an automobile accident. Oh, there's a drunk driver. Oh, there's a mutant cell. Oh, there's infidelity. Oh, there's uh, job loss. Oh, there's 9-11. Oh, there's, oh, there's uh, a, a boat in Missouri. Oh, oh, oh. And life is out of control. And if we, if we are in that mindset, the result is... Um, kind of anxiety and panic because you never know on any given day if you'll be the next ping pong ball to be launched. Do you understand what I mean by that? You just don't know. What will ha happen today? Will it be a drunk driver uh, uh, running a red light and someone in my family is killed? Will it be infidelity? Will it be downsizing at work? Uh, will it be a terror attack? Will it be some unknown disease of food poisoning? Will it be a storm? Will it be, like I'm on the duck boat, I'm on the bus. Will the bus make it across the bridge? I don't know. And, and the result of that, the presenting problem in our culture is anxiety. And anxiety presents as panic attacks, as sleep disorders, as an inability, like just this, this existential feeling, life's out of control, right? Because if it's a closed system, nobody intervenes. And if nobody intervenes, I know this, I can't create a safe enough world to be arrested. So how then can we be people of peace in the midst of storms, health, money, personal issues, job decisions, dating decisions, loving our spouse through Christ, crisis, forgiving our spouse, aging parents. Here's the deal. To be people of peace, we must become people who believe that we are under God's authority and who believe with confidence that God is in control. So to the extent that I believe that I'm under God's authority and that I believe that God is in control, I can have peace in the midst of any storm. That's the articulation of this text. So we're going to look at three contrasts here between 
Christ and the rest of humanity, because really Jesus is kind of the ultimate human, right? He's like, Jesus is made in the image of God as all humans are, but Jesus reflects God's character. And one of the ways in which Jesus reflects God's character is Jesus has this tremendous capacity for peace when all the rest of us would be panicked. We want to learn how to behave more like that. And that's what we, that's what we do in this text. So, we're going to begin here. I just set the context. We've heard the story read. Um, and it, in Luke 8, this is what it says. It was just one of those days. On one of those days, Jesus said, hey, let's get in the boat and go across to the other side, right? Just a, it's just a normal day. And there's no expectation on the part of the disciples that, this, that anything earth-shattering is going to happen on this day. It's just another day. Every day when you wake up is just a day until it's not just a day. It's a day until you go to the doctor and the, and the, and the uh, report comes back positive. It's just a day until there's a traffic accident. It's just a day until that day is 9-11. It's just a day until you live in Redding, California and your house explodes. It's just a day until there's an earthquake. It's just a day until it isn't just a day, right? And, 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 and the, the, the truth is, for all of us, days arise that are not just a day, it started out as a day, but then, bam, there's a storm. We're hit with a storm. And that's what this text is about. Now, the sequence of this text is telling Jesus and company sat on a boat with the expectation they're going to go to the other side, and then Jesus immediately falls asleep, and then the storm arises, and the storm gets serious, and even as the storm gets more and more intense... And the disciples only feel as if their lives are at risk. Jesus doesn't wake up. He is sleeping in the storm. This is super powerful to me. And I ask that we read in that book and illustrate with those illustrations because I absolutely love the picture of Jesus. Not only is he asleep, but it was the way he was asleep. Did you notice it? He's on his back with his, with it, like he looks like a dead man in a coffin, right? He's, he's asleep on his back, just enjoy, like enjoying. And there's a storm going on. And if you do a little bit of study about sleep positions, and maybe some of you have done this before, you know that the most well-adjusted people, how do they sleep? They sleep exactly like Jesus sleeping in the boat. He was just on their back. They're like this. I don't sleep that way. I'm curled up in a little ball with a pillow wrapped around my head because I live in constant terror that the world is going to end or something. I don't know why. I, don't, I sleep okay, but I don't sleep like that calmly. Here's Jesus. It's amazing. And then uh, he doesn't wake up even though... This is happening, and then ultimately the disciples, they shake him and they wake him up, right? And that, so that's the story, and what we see here are contrasts. Uh, here's Jesus and the disciples, and what do we see? Rest versus fear, authority versus dependency, and finally, confidence versus awe and wonder. And, and our calling is to, like the, the goal here this morning is to look at this and say, what simple steps can we take in order that we might become, in a greater measure, people of peace in a very unpeaceful world? How can we do that? So, we need to look at these three contrasts, beginning with Jesus' rest and our fear. What do we mean by Jesus' rest and our fear? Well, Jesus' rest. Jesus is asleep in the storm. He's asleep, and this massive storm is going on. This is not a picture of complacency. This is a picture of being at rest in a fallen world, precisely because of a strong confidence in God, right? So, like, when humans are at their best, we see glimpses of this kind of, this peace 
We're in the midst of the storm. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas have been arrested for creating kind of an economic disturbance in the city of Philippi. They're arrested, beaten, tossed in a dungeon, chained to the wall. And what are they doing there? They're singing. They're like, this is awesome, singing in prison. This is a picture. <clears throat> Excuse me. Time for coffee. This is a picture of rest in the midst of a storm. These guys singing in prison. Uh, remember Shadrach, <clears throat> Meshach, and Abednego, those guys? In uh, the Old Testament, three guys who refused to worship the golden image, and they, so they're going to be thrown in a fire, and this is what they say, I'm quoting now, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fire, and he will deliver us, but even if he doesn't deliver us, let it be known to you that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image because if God wants, here's the deal, if God wants us to live, we're going to live. If God wants us to die, then we'll die. But whether we live or die, whether we're free or in prison, whether we're sick or healthy, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're employed or just got fired, we, listen, God's still in control. That's this text. And Jesus then is able to sleep because of this kind of profound existential at a, like a psychological level, he believes that God's in control of the world. This is good. It's not Pollyanna stuff. It's humans whose trust in God and relationship with God is such that the fruit of believing that God is in control and can intervene in history, the fruit of that, rest. So there's two, like under this, this kind of observation, contrasting Jesus' rest with our fear. Why is Jesus at rest? Two things. Number one, Jesus believes God is sovereign. Number two, Jesus believes that God can intervene in the created order. And both those things are important. If God were just all-powerful but never intervened, so what, right? Uh, but if God could intervene but didn't have the power to do so, again, what? So what? But God is uh, sovereign and... God intervenes. And what you see in the Old Testament is this beautiful interplay between two names of God that articulate this truth. God, God isn't just called God in the Bible. God is called God, uh, Elohim, right? And God is called Yahweh or Jehovah. And, and these are two different names of the same God. And there's a mystery all through the Bible about you know, why there's, there, there, there are these two names. Here's the thing. Elohim is articulating God as the, the all-powerful one. God is over everything. God made it, and because God made it, God controls it. So God's powerful enough to intervene. And then uh, Yahweh or Jehovah means this. God is personal. So God, remember Psalm 139, God knit you, you together. God knows you. God doesn't just know you. God knows where you are. God knows where you are in traffic. God knows what's going on in every cell in your body. God knows, and God, God is able, doesn't always, but God is able to intervene. And when God intervenes, right, then this chaotic sense that the world is in a, in a state of total anarchistic disarray is, is subverted because God has intervened and something has upset the apple cart of cause and effect. God intervened. So God is able to intervene, Elohim. God does intervene, Yahweh. And if I take these two together, I'm freed from fear and anxiety. Why? Because I believe that the, the one who like, uh, controls all the universe and holds everything together, according to Colossians 1, I believe that that one also cares about my actual day. 
And what's going on on this day? My storm, whatever is my storm. And God is able, if God wants to, God is able to intervene. So that's, that's the thing here. And what we see in this story is uh, this, a picture of this intervention. There's a storm, and so I am not at rest, but I call out to God, and God intervenes, and I'm, I'm intended then to learn from this story to call out to God. Do you see? So um, I would suggest that most of us in the room who gather here on a Sunday like this, we are, there's nothing new in anything I've said. We all know this. But the point isn't what do I know? The point is am I, how do I practice this? And a practice of believing that God is both able to intervene and God does intervene, a practice of this will be uh, a kind of a more robust prayer life and then the presenting evidence of a more robust prayer life will be peace. Like, it'll change me even physiologically. Like, I'll sleep better, my blood pressure will go down, I'll have less anxiety. I'm not saying all anxiety is, is spiritual. I get it. There's chemical stuff going on. All true. And, and it's also true that if I have a prayer life that believes that God can intervene, and so I ask, I commit my day to God, and when there's a storm, I ask God, the result of that can be this sense, oh, God is able to intervene, and God is in control, and then the result is peace. The only way we learn this is to go through storms. It's the only way. And so there are young, there are young people, and I uh, uh, would just say young, I don't know what that is exactly, um, I'm 62, so up to 62, there are young people <laughs> who they haven't had adequate storms yet in life, perhaps, to, you know, to actually believe that they need God to intervene. So it's all good. Yeah, I'm healthy, and there's some money in the bank, and I got a, I got a decent job, and I've, I don't own much, so I'm at no threat of losing much. So I, I don't, I, you know, I say I need God, but it's lip service until there's a storm. It's the storm that teaches me the pathway to live in peace day by day by day. And many of us, uh, we can learn from little storms, and if we don't learn from little storms, According to Amos 5, God escalates. There's bigger and bigger and bigger storms until we finally learn. Look, ask God. And then you'll become, over time, a person of peace who more consistently uh, depends on God. One, I'll give you an example of a little storm in my life some years ago when uh, my son was 10. We were living in the mountains uh, east of Mount Vernon. And then we, you know, we drove down. We would drive to Seattle for holiday. And I think we went to a, like a baseball game or something. So you can picture my 10-year-old son and I, we go to a baseball game. And then uh, uh, we're going to stop by. I loved showing my kids Seattle when we lived in the mountains. So we went up to Cary Park, you know, up there on top of Queen Anne Hill where you'd see the whole city. And uh, I'm showing him, I said, oh, isn't it great? And then we had a baseball and some gloves and we're playing catch. And then it comes time to leave and I can't find the car keys. And, and now, like immediately, I went into kind of this visceral physiological panic mode because I didn't have, there were no cell phones back in the day, right? So I don't have a phone. I don't have any cash, not 10 cents. I, I, I can't call a tow truck. Uh, I don't have a debit card. All I have is a, cre I have a credit card, but that's it. And a credit card isn't going to give me keys or a locksmith. And the sun is literally dropping into the uh, Olympic Mountains, like it's over. And so now I'm, this is my thing. Like I'm panicked. I'll remember, oh, I'm looking around, and I go, man, this is it. We're going to find the keys, and the sun's going to go down. It's going to get dark, 
and all the criminals in the trees are going to come down and they're going to you know, attack us. And, and, and then we're going to wake up dead and my wife won't even know about it. What are we going to do? And so I'm just frantic. And here's my 10-year-old son like, hey, dad, w- let's pray to find the keys. Oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, no, there's no time for that. The sun's going down. Can't you see? We got we to gotta deal with this. We got to fix it, right? And it's a kind of, maybe you think it's a silly story. I don't. I learned a ton from this story because I couldn't find the keys, didn't find the keys, wouldn't find the keys. The sun finally drops behind the mountains. And I go, okay, let's pray, you know, because he kept nagging me to pray. Yeah, let's pray. We prayed. Within 30 seconds, we found our, I found the keys. Like, they were right there. I could have found them earlier. Is it possible God's trying to teach me something? I think so. Like, go ahead, be an atheist. Whatever you, th- you interpret the story. I'm telling you, I think God wanted me to learn something. Like, pray first, okay? And then you can kind of believe that you've committed it to God and whatever happens, God's on your team. So go ahead and pray. This is the deal. We're afraid. And Jesus isn't. Why? Because he believes that God is, in his humanity, he believes that God is both, you know, powerful and delighting to be personally involved in our lives. That's the first thing we need to learn. And many of us don't have peace in our lives because functionally we function as agnostics, at best sometimes atheists. We think, we act as if it all depends on us. So second, you see in the story, Jesus' authority and our dependency. Verse 24, it, this is what we read. They, you know, Jesus, there's a big storm. So it says, he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves. Uh, now, uh, I'll just give you a quick overview here of, like, if when you read the Bible, this is what you discover. The God who made the universe, there's a times when God intervenes and suspends the laws of nature. It happens in the Bible, right? Um, So there's a principle, God made it, so God controls it. So if God wants the sun to stand still, then whatever, the sun stands still. If God wants the sea to part, the sea parts. If God wants two fish to feed 5,000, somehow two fish feed 5,000. If God wants a dead man uh, to, to rise from the dead, then a dead man rise from the dead. So we believe, we gather here, we believe. Listen, uh, there's a lot of scientists in the room. We're not, we don't gather like in, in some mindless way saying, oh no, there are no laws in the universe. No, no, we believe that there are laws in the universe, cause and effect, uniformity, cause and effect. But we, we also say there, it's an open system. God can intervene. So what, the sun stands still. What does that mean? I don't know. Like, I know that if the earth stops spinning, that's a problem, like from a physics perspective. I know that. So I don't know, but I know that what God is trying to say to us here is the main point, which is this. Listen, I intervene. You don't have to know how, but I intervene. That's what God is saying, right? So God made it. God controls it. This is all through the Bible. This is God's point at the end of the book of Job. When God, you know, says to Job, hey, you want to answer my question? Well, let me ask you some questions. Like, d- did you make the whale? Did you put the stars in space? Do you make the sunrise every day? Do you make it go down? Do you control the weather? And of course, we know these days, this summer particularly, we don't control the weather. We know it. But God does. This is what we're saying. So what happens here? 
Uh, literally, it says Jesus woke up and rebuked the wind. Now, the word rebuke, epitomeo in the, in the Greek language, interesting. It means to, to warn in order to prevent damage, or it means to put something in its place. So usually the word rebuke is used vis-a-vis -vis like personal relationships, right? So somebody is like, hey, stop drinking at work. That's a rebuke, right? It's like, it's to warn and to put something in their place. That's the way it works. Now, in this case, Jesus, uh, it's kind of off the map. Okay, yeah, we rebuke each other. We rebuke our pets. Stay, right? But you don't rebuke the weather, None of us do. Stop. No, no. We don't do that. We can't. But, but God can. And so Jesus, in his divinity, you know, he stands up and he says to the weather, calm down. And it does. It's crazy. So uh, what's the point here? The point is God both can and does intervene, steps into history. God calms storms. Cells are mutating and then they stop mutating. God changes traffic patterns. God, you know, allows, he orders decisions and time in such a way that there are times when we're still here because God intervened. That's just the way it is. God has protected our lives. So, you know, years ago I was involved in a search and rescue event. There was an avalanche of a Soqualmie Pass. And uh, as we're coming out, we're crossing an avalanche slope uh, that's very unsafe. And with search and rescue, we're each going one at a time in case one of us gets buried, you know. And I get halfway out and everything in front of me is, go is going. And so I start going hang back this way and it's all going this way. And I know it's next is me. This thing's gonna hit me and I'm standing and I'm waiting, I'm standing, I'm waiting. And then all the snow settles and nothing happens. And I look behind me and I'm standing right, right under a rock crop, a rock outcropping that had split the avalanche in two, and only where I was, was, it was the only safe place, and there I was. Oh, lucky you. No, I, I would say not lucky me. I would say God orders our days. Now listen, the point of the story isn't, oh, wow, then we're super, no, we're not. One of these days I probably will get hit with an avalanche. Whatever. It's not the point. The point is, my days are in God's hands. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so that, what, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear if my days are in God's hands. So this is, this is what we see in these, in these kind of stories. And over and over again in history, uh, God is intervening. Why? Not just to intervene, but to teach us, watch this, to teach us to rest. Because God, behind the curtain, to the extent that I am in relation with God, asking God to control my life, guess what? God controls my life. And then nothing can happen to me that doesn't first pass through the sieve of, of God. That doesn't mean bad things won't happen. Bad things do happen, remember? Uniformity, cause and effect. Yes, bad things happen in an open system. God can intervene. He doesn't always, but he does intervene. That's the thing. This girl years ago, was talking to me at one of the Bible schools I teach at in Germany, and she shared the story of her grandfather, and she said, I wouldn't be here were it not for God's intervention. And when she explained the story, the story went thusly. Her grandfather in World War II with his platoon was going to go down into this kind of buried bunker to, to uh, kill what they believed were a bunch of allied forces in the bunker. And so 
uh, he's, at the, near the, he's at the back of the line, and this platoon is going down into the bunker, and he, then he shares this story with his granddaughter. He says, so I, I heard my commanding officer behind me saying, Schultz, you're not going in. Get out. And I turned around. I didn't see him, so I kept going down the stairs. And a second time, I heard my commanding officer, Schultz, now, go. And so I turned around, and I left the bunker, and the bunker blew up, including my commanding officer, who, in fact, was at the front of the line. She tells me this story. What do you do with that story? I'll tell you what I do, because I hear a dozen of these, or a hundred, I believe God intervenes in history. Yeah. Read Psalm 107. Hey, there was this huge drought. We were wandering around the desert, and we didn't know where to go, and God guided us to a city. Hey, Psalm 107, verse 26. There, there, was, there was a huge storm. The boat rose up, just like the story. We cried out. God intervened. Calmed the storm. I was in a lightning storm. We prayed. God intervened. Listen, we pray, we wait, we see. But we believe that God can intervene in history. And if we believe it, we don't believe that he always does. This isn't name and claim it. This isn't prosperity theology. This is peace. And peace means I have asked God, and now it's in God's hands. And when, boy, when, like if you actually live that way and believe that, I tell you what, then it changes. Uh, your, you sleep better. There's less anxiety physiologically. You know the peace of Christ. It becomes experiential for you. Uh, in California, the, the fires that are kind of ravaging that state right now have destroyed many, many properties. And uh, Forest Home, where I just spoke two weeks ago, there was a fire coming straight at the camp. And then... Uh, uh, before, like the fire gets a half mile from the camp and then a giant rainstorm and it just douses the fire and the camp is spared. Oh, interesting, coincidence. Yeah, same thing happened last year at the camp I grew up in uh, outside of Yosemite called Camp Sugar Pine. It was spared. Same, same thing. A, a storm rose up and doused the water. Oh, interesting, coincidence. Yeah, Hume Lake, also a camp in California. Also, like I was supposed to speak there at a men's retreat a couple years ago. The retreat was canceled because of the fire but the fire never reached the property. And, and so, like, all three camps threatened by fire within the past three years, all safe. And I don't know what you want to do with that. Here's what I do. I know in every case, this is space devoted to God, space where lives have been changed. People prayed. God intervened. Now, d does God always intervene in that way? No. No. But God does intervene. And so this is the problem for all of us in the room. Because we live in a highly educated, high intellectual, materialistic world. Culture. That's Seattle, right? And so the tendency when I share a story like this, and I have the same tendency, is to go, oh yeah, well, let me, hey, I, what about this camp? It was destroyed. And what about that camp? And what about that guy? He died of cancer. And so here, we love to do this. I tell a story of God's preservation, and then you counterpoint me with a story when God didn't preserve. And you go, see, like you're not doing that right now, but I think you would. See, God doesn't intervene. Look at that. The subtext is, don't be all Pollyanna on me now. And so here's my response to you. Look, does God always intervene? No. But does God intervene? Yes. <laughs> so, pray. <laughs> because God, inter listen, God intervenes in response to what? Prayer, not wishful thinking. 
Not, not frantically looking for keys in the grass. God intervenes in response to prayer. We don't claim power over nature. Winds rise and friends die in paragliding accidents. I know it firsthand. Bombs explode at marathons. Limbs are lost. Lives are lost. Cells mutate. We don't claim power over nature. But not only can we cry out to God, we're invited to cry out to God. Invited to pray for a neighbor's healing of body or healing of mind. Invited to pray for provision for someone in need. Invited to pray for housing for someone. Invited to pray for protection when you get in a car. And, and then, here's the beauty of it, when I pray, I move on because I put the matter in God's hands and that's all I can do. And if you live your life long enough, you begin to see, oh, there's a pattern here. We prayed for gravel to rebuild a road for a ministry when we had no money and God gave us gravel. We, we prayed for signatures to build this building and we didn't get all the signatures we needed until the last day. We prayed for my dad's healing and he died. We prayed for another friend's healing and he died. Uh, I was in this lightning storm with my daughter and it was coming from two directions uh, and we had nowhere to go. We prayed the storm stopped. <laughs> I have a friend in Germany who was healed from pancreatic cancer for a decade in response to prayer. What's, what's the point? Here's the point. Jesus has authority over nature and delights in our calling out to him in the same way that children or grandchildren ask for help. Because children, when they're little, it's so beautiful, they know who they are vis-a-vis -vis their parents. Does this make sense? Like, they know it. Our... Um, my, my daughter from Germany now lives with us again and her, and, and her husband and, and they were up visiting over the weekend and my little granddaughter, for whatever reason, loves to play with me, which I love too. So we're, you know, we're hanging out and we're out on the back deck and her socks begin uh, coming off of her feet. She has a little place on the sock that marks where the heel is supposed to go, right? Because we all have socks like that probably. And... And so her socks are coming off her feet and she just stops and she goes, uh, my socks need help. She's two. <laughs> my socks need help. And I looked at her and I go, yeah, they do. Like the thing needs to come up. And then I waited for her. And then she said, Papa, fix it. Right? Like, and my initial instinct is to say, fix it yourself. <laughs> you have arms, right? But... She had, like, that's not, she's not there yet, right? So for her, it's just so natural. When I have a need, I ask someone who has power. So natural. Like, when did we lose that? I'll tell you when. When we begin to trust in uh, the tree of knowledge more than the tree of life. Because now with our knowledge, you know, oh yeah, we've got, we'll figure it out. We'll figure, there's a way. We're going to figure this out. Oh yeah, we'll try 10 things. And then maybe, maybe when we're desperate, we'll pray. Or maybe we'll give a nod to prayer. But here's the deal. We're here. God's here. You're children. We all are. So we're invited to call out. And the result is peace. Finally, we see Jesus' quiet confidence and our awe and wonder, right? He, he says to them, where's your faith? Like once the storm is called. Uh, calmed. Where's your faith? Well, that's, we could debate the question, but here's, all Jesus is trying to do here is create a teachable moment. He's essentially asking the question all of us ask all the time, which is this, not like, where's your faith? Like, don't you have any faith? But he's asking, where is your faith? I know you have faith. Like, what do you believe in? Like, do you believe in uh, your swimming ability here? Or do you believe in... Uh, 
the randomness of weather or do you believe in my power over the storm? Like, what do you, like it's the object of your faith. We all have faith. But if the object of my faith is Christ, then 2 Corinthians 4 becomes a reality. And I'm reading from the message. You know for yourselves that we're not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't been broken. Listen, is life hard? Yeah. Surrounded and battered by troubles, but not demoralized. Uncertain, the next step to take, but certain that God will show us when we need to know. Spiritually, facing difficulties, but God hasn't left our side. We're thrown down, but not broken. Man, in other words, we can be people of peace in a world filled with anxiety. And I, let me tell you, People driving by right now are filled with anxiety. I don't know it particularly, but I know it generically. Political anxiety, economic anxiety, anxiety about the future, anxiety over aging parents, anxiety over marriage, anxiety over hidden addictive behavior, which if discovered would result in unemployment, anxiety over children, anxiety over body image, anxiety. And wouldn't it be nice if in an anxious world, Christ followers demonstrated peace? Like, that's what we need. How, how could we? Two things. Number one, I encourage you to do this. When you wake up in the morning and have coffee with God or whatever beverage you have, with, but something, when you meet with God, and you should be meeting with God, when you meet with God, commit your day to God. Just commit your day to God. Because it's so liberating, at least for me, to go, you know what? I've, I've put myself in God's hands today. So I know that wherever I go, whether, whether driving or working or skiing or in meetings, wherever I am, God, God's are, I've already said, God, this is your day. The, the result, peace. And the second thing is this. In the morning, as I'm praying, I, here's the question I ask. What, what do I want God to do today? If I could ask God one thing, what would it be for today? God, I need strength today because I have meetings from 9 to 9, and then I want to go home and be present with the people that I love. I need strength. Or God, there's a staleness in our marriage. I pray for intimacy. Or God, I'm at a crossroads. I need direction. Or God, uh, I'm afraid of the future. I need peace. What do you want God to do today? Why do I challenge you? Here's why. What did Jesus say? You don't have because you don't work hard enough. Oh, no, that's wrong. You don't have because you don't ask. People of prayer are people of peace. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you invite us in an anxious world to overflow with peace. It's really an incredible gift you're offering us, and yet uh, often we walk right past it in our uh, fear and anxiety and desire to control the world. Forgive us, Lord. Today, we commit our day to you. All that unfolds from this moment forward, thank you. Nothing comes into our life that doesn't pass through your hands. Thank you. And thank you that when storms arise, you'll be with us. And thank you that when storms arise, we call out to you. You have the power to calm them. Whether you do or not is your prerogative, but you can. So we can rest. May we be people of rest today, wherever we go. And we'll thank you for the fruit of that, praying in Christ's name. Amen.